Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at japanbyrivercruise.com and due to the generosity of our corporate sponsors. This show is probably going to be brought to you by Elon Musk. We're just waiting on some SEC due diligence to wrap up and some money to get to where his mouth is. But once that's done, though, expect this show to include 100% more free speech and expect that delicious, wonderful free speech to be paid for so that it accurately represents the value of brands like Tesla, SpaceX, Neuralink and Dogecoin. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I said that like I was surprised that there's a show. I'm Bobby Judo. <laughs> Join the club. I'm Ollie Horn. Nice to be back. And joining us on the show is Michelle Yehi Lee, Washington Post Bureau Chief for Tokyo and Seoul, President of the Asian American Journalists Association, and the only person ever to successfully complete the Seoul to Tokyo Ferry Boat Association's 1000 PCR test challenge. Michelle, congratulations and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. On today's show, Biden's meetings in other parts of Asia. What do they mean for Japan? Also, Biden's time in Japan provides us with the perfect opportunity to ask Michelle the important questions like, is making train jokes about Joe Biden still a thing? And Japan reopens its borders to small groups of tourists and then immediately has to quarantine a COVID infection. Does this mean we're about to see an experiment get abandoned quicker than that time my wife got curious about pegging? All of that coming up as part of our extra long format. Plus, Ali's got this time's River Cruise recommendation. Ollie? Maybe it was the extra long format that prevented the experiment going well. <laughs> um, yeah, yes, Bobby. In River Cruise innovation news to accommodate the trickling of tourists centering the country, an enterprising cruise liner in Osaka has made a modification to one of its medium-sized fleet. Going from the press release that I've got in front of me, it seems that the Japanese passengers are likely to continue to ride the River Cruise boat as normal, and foreign tourists will be invited to ride one of the eight moving Ferris wheel carriages that have been attached to the left side of the vessel. The technology is still in its infancy, and since uh, looking at these early press shots and videos, I can see that passengers have been issued with oxygen tanks to help with the parts of the trip where their cabin is submerged underwater. Additionally, I've learned that the operator is looking to add a second Ferris wheel to the right side of the boat to meet capacity demand and also to help the ship stop turning in a circle. Also, in your river cruise industry news, there's a fun new way to enjoy Kyoto's Kintsugi Riverboats. That's a fleet of riverboats that were originally constructed in the 1580s and have been painstakingly repaired over the years using the Japanese art of Kintsugi, which is filling in cracks and holes with gold. Kyoto River Tours LLC is now offering an all-inclusive package including goggles, a snorkel, and a map of the numerous sites in Kyoto's rivers where these boats have sunk. More on these stories later, but first, gold, Bobby, gold is let's heavy. detach the swan boat and go on... It weighs a lot. Uh, yeah, good gag, very heavy. Uh, right, Bobby, just you and me, let's leave Michelle here on the shore. You and I are going to sneak off into the little swan boat and have a little chat. Bobby, it's uh, we're still on our releasing every month schedule, but this one we we managed just by a whisker. Let's have a bit of a catch up. How have you been these last four to five working weeks? Ah, oh, super super busy, super busy. We're getting ready to open up our barbecue shop. We've got uh, the crowdfunding returns to be done. We're uh, starting this week. We'll be sending out sauces and spices. I've done a couple of pre events, and I'm working really really hard to kind of put together the barbecue shop. I've been um, 
painting and and constructing a deck and actually uh so i was out i saw the instagram post this is hilarious um i was really proud of myself working really hard i had my my gear on i had my goggles on and i was working with like a a paint sprayer and i was spray painting the roof like climbing up through the rafters and my wife came out and she said oh you're working really hard huh and i said yeah and she said can i take a picture and put it up on instagram and i said yeah sure and then uh, I looked at the pictures that she put up and she'd captioned them with cosplay me tie and happy Halloween, which is basically like, <laughs> look at this asshole playing dress up. <laughs> yeah. But well, to be honest, it did look like that because you like the, 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 the suit looked like it was like deliberately covered in paint. Yeah, uh, that was, was not was so deliberate. On there. That was no, that just happened. So you're doing all your own handiwork. No, 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 no. Uh, we, we've got... Um, contractors who are helping a lot but our budget for the restaurant is significantly less which is not a dig at the crowdfunding supporters uh was significantly less to do the actual renovations of the shop i think it's a dig at the people that didn't support yeah could have been better um so what we're doing is we have contractors doing kind of the base work and then the stuff that like is a little bit more time consuming they show us how to do it and leave the stuff and then we're doing it ourselves that sounds like a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Luckily, it's not the part we have to live in. <laughs> right. It's just where your paying guests are going to be uh, are, are, are going to be based. It's just where we'll be preparing food for people to eat. <laughs> <laughs> have you got like you? You were telling me that you've already got your smokers as well. Uh, grills, grills. Yeah. So I've got uh, um, I've, we so they're in transit right now, but we bought uh, six big lidded american style gas grills uh uh, charcoal grills we bought one big gas grill uh we bought another huge kind of like uh monster truck no but but like a monster sized uh charcoal grill so we've all told we've got like eight grills We, we went to a shop and bought all of our tables and benches and chairs and so all of the stuff that we need is coming together. It's just we're kind of waiting for the uh, final work on the actual building itself, and then we're going to start assembling. Nice. Must be real swell to spend all this money on a property that you own. Uh, I'm, in, I, I'm enjoying parts of it, and I'm trying to... I see, I see what you're doing here, Ali, and I, I don't want <laughs> to take the bait. Um, but, but the thing, the thing that's interesting is that like, you get this idea of, of having this perfect house and you put all this work into a property in a house. And then as soon as you start living it in it, you just immediately start ruining it. And like, I I keep coming back to this idea that this would be like the perfect family home. If only my family didn't live in it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, your girls are how old now? Six. They're almost seven. And, um, I, I go, guys, just stop. Okay, stop jumping on the couches. And they go, okay. And then a couple of days later, it's like, guys, please stop jumping on the couches. And they're like, okay. And then it's gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, just stop jumping on this one couch because it doesn't right. it doesn't have a rug under it. So just jump on that one. This is this will be the not jumping couch. And and even that just doesn't work. You're you're gonna miss it when they stop jumping on the couches, though. I am. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, what, I, I did just briefly allude, because last episode I did say, oh, Ollie's about to buy a house. Didn't happen. Lost all my money. Next. Uh, we... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's absolutely rotten. Uh, I, if, there was, if I didn't already have disdain for the property-owning class, uh, now I'm definitely not part of it. I hate them even more. I think it's also maybe more anti-royalist for some reason. I'm not sure why. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> you um oh the other thing which you said that we we might want to talk about is uh You've you've had a coming of age moment in uh, getting your own big property to uh, to live off the fat of the land with your family. Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, one of your daughters had a, cu- a coming of age moment. Too, oh yeah. So they're they're almost crush. seven. They've started school, and so starting school, they get exposed to all kinds of new friends and all kinds of new experiences. But um, Louis Louis's been uh, watching ever after high, which is kind of like a a fantasy cartoon show that deals with a lot of like relationships between fairy tale characters. And she's very curious about relationships. And she's had, she's had her own, uh, preschool boyfriend for a while now, but recently she told me (laughs) she had a crush on a fifth grader. She said, there's this fifth grader who's really funny and I have a crush on him. And then immediately, how old compared to her? So she's a first grader. So four years older. Oh, she's dating up then. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, immediately after she said she had a crush on him, she got really embarrassed that she told me and she said, no, I don't. I don't. And I said, no, you just said you had a crush on him. And she she thought about it for a second and she got a real clever look on her face like she'd solved a problem. And she went, no, I said I have a brush on him. <laughs> like that explained it like, oh, OK, yeah. With to be honest, with jokes like that, she wouldn't even be bottom quartile at a given open mic. <laughs> when you say at a given open mic, are you thinking of a specific one? Mm, I am, but I'm not going to articulate it on the show. Um, in uh, in unrelated news, I am doing comedy, but I'm doing it well. You've just come through the Brighton Fringe, and just it done the Brighton like you've, Fringe. You've done fantastic. I uh, it's so. Do you know what? It's so nice to 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 do it again yeah. i mean for for regular listeners to the show you know that i've kind of been off the horse for a couple of months and you could almost uh, say that been... this particular experience really served to brighten up your life thank you thank you i understand what you did there uh and because i'm trying to think of a pun related to fringe yes because gold is heavy uh <laughs> i would but i imagine a, a gold boat would float a solid anyway. gold. well i mean Gold-plated? Well, I mean, that must, yeah. people must have made gold-plated boats. It's a it's a good joke. Uh, yes, it was. Th- I had one night, so I was doing a, a a a work in progress show, like writing brand new material, and I always try and do it as casually as I can. Like I, I don't advertise it that much. I only they only I only really get an audience there by people that already know me, and there aren't that many of them. Or I go and do spots at other shows, like a 10-minute spot or a 15-minute spot. People see me, and then they go, oh, I want to see more of him. And then I'll invite them to you know, to, to this work in progress. It's like in America, what you'd call a living room show, I think, where like you literally invite people around to a living room, like 20, 30 people. So I did five shows, each with about 20 or 30 people. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's better to do that over five shows than all of those people in one show, because I get five attempts at the jokes and, and working out what I want to talk about. And... Uh, and it, man, it went. It was really nice. It was really nice to do. It was nice that people w- were out again. But I also kind of I forgot quite how like what insane lows there are, as well as humongous highs. Oh, it's ups so, and like, downs are crazy. It, and 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 of course, at a festival, it's like they all happen in the same day. So I can go from having one of the best sets of my career and having like industry people go oh my God, you're on such better form than you were three or four years ago. Are you doing well? So they're going and doing my solo show 
to a bunch of people that are not quite sure if it's going to be good. And then like, for example, I had two people walk out because they maybe they weren't. I don't know whether they weren't enjoying it or they just had somewhere to be. But or perhaps they didn't really understand it because it was clear that English wasn't their first language. But the point was they kind of about 30 minutes in raised their hand and was like, oh, uh, don't worry. I'm just going to the toilet. And I was like, "Okay, fine. And then their partner went with them. And I was like, well, you both both don't need the toilet do you um and then of course they scarpered right and it's like i just got to deal with that right like that's that's totally on them i need to stop seeing myself as like the main character in my movie and then being a bit part i was a bit part in their movie and it wasn't working out for them whatever but then i also had to deal with the fact that they left saying they were going to go to the toilet and they obviously weren't and then they left their scarf which was which obviously made a delicious moment for them outside where they were like oh god we've got to go back in like how much was that scarf was it is it worth it is it worth the embarrassment and then you know sheepishly creeping back in and going oh sorry i forgot my scarf and then all the other audience members wondering what it was i i've said that was so objectionable that made them leave and wondering maybe we should be leaving. <laughs> maybe we should be leaving maybe too. so you're making all these assumptions i mean had you had you considered the fact that maybe there's a possibility that they they were so horny because of your show <laughs> that uh, they, they felt compelled to take a take a dual trip to the restroom well they definitely didn't go to the to the bathroom they they left straight through the exit the the only explanation like the only positive thing is that they they they'd had enough comedy they thought 30 minutes of comedy this good satisfies us any more would be a waste that you know we, we don't want the cup overfilling maybe that's the um the, the positive reading there could anyway, be there, i mean back. honestly man there could be a million reasons i mean it, it doesn't yeah, have to be that possibly. they didn't enjoy your comedy well yeah and the assumption that possible. they're they're anti-ali somebody uh somebody very very cool recently reminded me of something which is very true which is that people are not against you they're just for themselves and maybe uh, maybe one of their their children got sick or maybe they got a message from the babysitter or maybe they got hungry. Maybe it could they be anything. Like my comedy. I know. I know you shouldn't take it to heart. And if, and if there was, you know, a hundred people in the room, I wouldn't notice would I, but uh, anyway, yeah, you would. Uh, if it... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, you would. <laughs> if I was in a thousand seater, I'd notice that is true. Yeah. Uh, anyway, if there's anyone listening to this show that, that went to that, uh, thanks very much for popping along. It seems like I've got a bit of a, bit of a shape of a show and, uh, well, I'm also then now gearing up for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival happening this August. I'm sure I'll talk more about that next I episode. I am so jealous. Everybody's doing shows again. And, and even in Japan, the Tokyo scene has opened back up. They've got a dedicated comedy venue. Roast Battle's kicking off again. Your Hood's a Joke came through. Our friend mm. Yuki is doing these amazing shows. There's all of these opportunities and people all across my social media feeds that are going back up. And and it just been off my radar for so so long that I'm I'm experiencing real serious envy about people getting up. Stand up is really cathartic. It's um as as I've I've recently started doing uh, therapy, right? Which I'm by the way absolutely killing. I'm doing so well. I win like <laughs> most of them. You know, uh, uh, in therapy, I I hear you're supposed to go for six laughs a minute. <laughs> yeah. If you're not I getting six like a laughs picture. a minute from your therapist. <laughs> Um, and it's it's not it's and also what's interesting is it's it's kind of I I have to pay her which is very similar to my Edinburgh Fringe experiences for the first three, <laughs> three or four years, um, but uh, 
but I do think there's there's a lot of similarities between what you do when you're writing jokes about yourself and what a therapist expects you to do, which is like rationalize every presumption that you're making and you know working out whether something is logically consistent just in the framework that you're discussing it or whether that's always true. And you know I, I've said this before on the podcast before that anyone that has some kind of hobby where you get a sense of flow, uh, you know, where like you can't once you've started, it's like a steam train. Uh, you know, you just have to continue. Oh, a boat. A boat. Sorry. Like, oh, ah, God. Once you, once you started, it's like a rubbing boat. We're out of practice. Actually, I, 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 yeah, no. Yeah, I'm, I really am off the horse. Off the boat. boat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I really do think that, that stand-up sets are like that. That, you know, you, once you start, you're just not allowed to worry about anything else. Yeah, is that Actually, momentum? I think a, a yeah. good... A good podcast recording, similar actually, you know, that when we really get in a really good conversation with a guest, we, you know, even if we get a notification on our phone, we're not looking, we're just thinking and and, and, and enjoying it. Here's some behind the scenes, how the sausage gets made. Uh, I'm only okay with you having said that because we've already recorded this week's conversation with the guest and it was great. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, well, it is a good conversation. Should we, should we jump right into it? Is there anything else we need to catch up on? Coffees. Yes, of course. Gratitude. How very wrong of me. Do you want to read them out? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we had uh, Heaven Chai joined as a member and then instantly canceled the membership. I think they figured. That's fine. It's, it's the timing. That was the right move. <laughs> uh, well, it, no, I, I, it might just be that they don't want it to recur, which is also absolutely fair enough. <laughs> uh, Mr. Joe Blackwood access- bought us two coffees. Thank you, Mr. Joe Blackwood. Uh, the message we got from them says, the void which your absence left in my weekly content consumption routine was such that I stopped listening to podcasts altogether, which is, this is what, this is what we want, right? Like this is if you're not listening to us, we also want you to not be listening to anyone else. Yeah, we want we want to define the genre. If we're not entertaining you, we don't want you to be entertained. We well, hope you notice when this one comes online, and we hope you uh, we check it out. Uh, yeah, and yeah, they they also said that um, that it's nice that we're kind of renewing our vision for the show, and I think that's I think that's true for us too. That it's you know we we had that. You know, thirty-minute format, and we're trying to play around and do different things. Do let us know whether you're liking this longer-form stuff. Let us know what you want to hear more of, what you want you want to hear less of, because uh, I think we're you know we're getting back into that uh, mentality of you know the podcast can be whatever we want it to be. We don't, there are no rules. Mm. Um, we don't even need to release a goddamn episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah uh, please you don't even have to accomp- uh, accompany your feedback with a coffee just drop us a line uh, by clicking the fax button uh, on japanbyrivercruise.com or send us a tweet we would be genuinely interested to hear your feedback we've had such an amazing arc we really have we've gone from producing a weekly episode with no listeners to having lots of listeners and producing no episodes <laughs> When you put it like that, it does sound absurd. <laughs> but you're right. We spent months and months and months churning out a really, really heavily edited episode to, frankly, fewer people than would like, like to a living room yeah. show, basically. To, yeah, amassing an audience and now not knowing what to do with it. Well, look, I think our audience are kind uh, and sensitive people. Super, yeah. Uh, and we've got to say that. thank you to Hillbilly Ben Steiner, who who bought us 10 coffees. And he said, hi, Bowie's looking forward to your trumpet return and or numerous promises of said return that'll happen any day now. Cheers from Ben in Tokyo. And this is great, too, because like I love that, that guilt trip with money attached. Mm, yeah. That's how we like if to I, get well, it. 
this is this is what the church should do with Jesus. Maybe he'd finally come back. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, with that, Bobby, shall we uh more our swan boat. We've still not really worked out the logic no. of this, but I think what we're doing is we're mooring our swan boat, getting onto a different boat, which has room for another guest, and uh, inviting sitting them, down, sitting down, at the, the captain's, captain's table. Ahoy, Michelle! Thank you very much for joining us at the captain's table. Have you had a nice trip so far? Wonderful trip. Very good. Let's go ahead and jump right into the news. Uh, so Joe Biden has had huge meetings with pretty much all of the major players in in Asia. But uh, let's go ahead and start with the most important one. Michelle, what policy changes do you think will result from Biden's summit with BTS? <laughs> you mean the closed door summit that we don't have access to? What are what's on those minutes? It's Why aren't we allowed to know? <laughs> We need to know. The public needs to know. Do you think there's a chance that he actually just thought he was meeting with the South Korean army? <laughs> Possibly. These politicians saw know how to dance. <laughs> so run us through Joe Biden's his tour through Asia, which you were there for a lot of, right? Yeah, I was there in Korea and then followed him back to Japan um, and did the, you know, the Japan meeting, the quad meeting. And yeah, he had a pretty busy five days. He landed in Korea, immediately went to the Samsung plant and had a speech with uh he delivered a speech, and then the South Korean president, Yoon, did as well. And then after a few days, he made it out to here to Japan, had a bilat with Kishida, and then had the quad meeting, and then went right back to the U.S. Wow. It's weird that he went back to the U.S. and then met with BTS. You think he could have done it over here? <laughs> just just to, to set a little bit more context, right? This isn't like a kind of a, a make-the-wish, final farewell to an old man trip. There are some uh, American strategic objectives, presumably, uh, that... Um, that compelled Biden to make this trip. Oh, real quick. This is an item that I think Ali is about to broach. This is one that Ali put on the agenda. Uh, he always, you should know this about Ali. He always finds a way to talk about Apple products. And I think he wants to talk about this new one, which is called the IPEF. I don't know if you're up on this at all, <laughs> Michelle, but how does Joe Biden's Asia tour tie in with the rollout of the IPEF? And what does the IPEF do? Oh, man. Okay. So Biden really, you know, the administration said that it wants to show that it's still focused on Asia, that even though it has been focused on Ukraine, because it has had to be that um, it really wants to show its presence out in East Asia and show that it has a plan for countering China. You know, it's almost two years into the presidency. So it is time for him to make this trip out here and try to, you know, meet with these leaders. And one of those aspects of showing that the U.S. has a plan is to do this rollout of the IPEF, which is the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. Uh, don't call it a comeback of the TPP. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of residual resentment in Japan from the U.S. backing out of the TPP, right? Yeah, I mean, it's been really interesting the past few months just asking around about what's been the impact of the U.S. leaving TPP and then having to start the CPTPP. And there are, you know, some concrete issues like, you know, market access from especially like Southeast Asian countries. But it really seems like from Japan's perspective, they like feel burned. They feel like they're the one U.S. ally that stayed in this whole TPP realm, keeping it together, dealing with China, trying to exceed and um, 
you know, the accession of China and Taiwan and Great Britain into the CPTPP. And they feel like they're like they're the U.S. friend trying to hold it together. And there is quite a bit of frustration that I've picked up throughout the past several months out here. I feel like I'm having a stroke listening to all these abbreviations. Let what like what what was the foreign policy objective with the TPP? How is it now different with this new acronym? And did Biden's trip serve that purpose? So those are really big question marks still. I guess, well, not so much the first one, which is a foreign policy objective of TPP, right? They wanted to strike this trade deal, free free trade agreement with several countries so that these countries can gain access, market access more easily to the U.S. to trade on a more, you know, affordable, lower barrier basis and um, form this whole network of countries that would essentially kind of counter China. Uh, and China has its own free trade agreement. Um, and then, of course, under Trump, the U.S. pulled out the whole incentive that the U.S. used to get some of these more reluctant countries to join, especially in the face mm-hmm. of China was to say, look, you're going to be able to do more trade with the U.S. now and come join us. And then after that, Trump pulled out. So there was this vacuum created afterward. And what the Biden team is now doing is coming up with this whole new plan to say, look, we are past trade agreements now. It was way too complicated. Um, Domestically, it's not working for us. This commitment to a trade agreement is not the way we want to go. We want to have it more like loosey-goosey, a little more informal, um, but kind of working on certain principles like decarbonization or more, um, you know, better trade and uh, uh, semiconductors and supply chain management. So it's all these buzzwords, but it really it was really an introduction of their proposal. There is not much meat to it at the moment. And the way the Biden administration is saying is that they want to work on this together with the partner countries. But of course, the, of course, the partner countries are asking, well, you're not giving us market access like you did for TPP. Why should we join you this time again? So there's quite a bit of skepticism out here. And it, it really remains to be seen whether the Biden administration successfully made this mm. comeback to show that they are committed. Well, hopefully they can get something put together just in time for um, the 2024 Trump administration. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, one of the things that the administration <laughs> just officials... made the best face. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things the administration officials did say was that they want this to be, um, you know, not so much tied to the political party of the White House and that they is you know they're theoretically trying to protect from the the parties flipping but um I heard someone describe it as like the non-alcoholic beer of trade deals where like if you don't want the the baggage of having a hangover and dealing with the com- like complexities of actually getting drunk and dealing with consequences, then you can have this non-alcoholic beer which is the IPEF. So I've been calling it like the oduls <laughs> of trade agreements. That's the most favorable way I've ever heard anybody present non-alcoholic beer. But we we discussed this on the show before, right, that trade agreements are often not about trade. They're just like a vehicle for for foreign policy or for like some kind of international leverage. And, you know, the like the the concessions that you make for trade are normally secondary to, you know, here here are the countries that we want to be friends with. Here are the countries that we want to try and put some control on. Here's the, the political blocks we want to form. Um, so it seems that that's still like the trajectory, but something which seems to have happened in the last four or five years is this concept of America's relationship with Asia seems to have kind of dissipated because there is no such thing as Asia anymore, right? We've got the 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 fact that Taiwan, um, you know, there was all those problems with uh, with, with with Trump 
uh, recognizing Taiwan. Uh, you've obviously now got China, which has you know radically changed its foreign policy in the la- in the last four or five years, um, and, and become a little bit more um, independent minded. Is there still something special about Japan within Asia? This is a topic that's come up a lot on this podcast. That Japan has always been seen to be the slightly more American facing and slightly more Asian but not Asian country is is among all the countries which Biden has visited is Japan has it got some kind of special importance or or are those days over too well Japan is the U.S.'s biggest ally out here that's supposed to be the most dependable ally and one that it could actually you know work with most closely and that's you know, the whole idea of the Biden administration is really to try to strengthen alliances throughout the region, use these many different relationships with different countries to try to put up a counter to China. I just don't know whether um, the many countries out here are really prepared to do the same because since the last time, um, you know, since the, the last time he was in the White House when as vice president, a lot has changed. Many of these countries have become even more dependent on China, even more economically intertwined. And Japan, you know, clearly welcomes the U.S. showing that it cares and wants to emphasize alliances, still has to think about whether it, A, whether the U.S. is an actually dependable ally, whether a change in the White House is going to change those things again, and be like the actual economic consequences of trying to join things like IPEF and, you know, moving forward with Quad and all of that. So um, Ali brought up the notion of kind of like contrasting with how the Trump administration uh, made comments about Taiwan or made, made comments about Asia. I think one interesting aspect for me is this idea that Trump said so much shit that there was no there was no commitment attached to it. He said just whatever, and then there was no need to either try to follow up or walk it back. He said whatever he he said at, at the moment, and nobody put any stock in it. But Biden on this most recent tour made that comment in Taiwan that everybody said was a show of commitment to militarily protecting Taiwan in the face of Chinese aggression. And then Japan reacted by saying, well, that's going to drag us in if the U.S. is going to commit to protecting uh, Taiwan militarily, then we're going to get involved too. Was this one of those uh, Joe Biden gaffes that that he he gets pinned with a lot, or was this something? I don't know. Was it something that he said in the moment, or was it something that reflects policy? So Biden has said this for the third time now, right? So if it really were a gaff, if it were a mistake, then he's surely been making the exact same mistake in the exact same way three times and walked it back the the exact same way three times. Um, Peter Baker from the New York Times had a good piece on this. And uh, he asked, you know, he said, maybe um, Biden wasn't going off script after all. Maybe he just doesn't care much for the script. And he actually thinks something else and wants something else to happen. And the the actual, you know, vehicle of the U.S. government is not yet ready to move that way where Biden wants to be. And Mm. after the White House walked that statement back after the press conference, many of us were reminded of the way the Trump White House would work, which is that Trump would say things and then the White House would walk it immediately back. And then the question is, who's making policy? Who's opinions and whose decisions are driving this issue. And um, he must have known. I mean, Biden, President Biden is a very experienced 
guy in this whole field and he must have known that coming out here and saying something like that would carry a big weight, would matter a lot to specifically Japan. He was standing right there with the Prime Minister Kishida. So mm-hmm. he must have known. So why did he say it? You know, I think that's what we're all trying to figure out. Is this an actual policy change? The White House yet is not willing to or ready to say that it is. So I'm wondering, is there any way that this might be kind of um, inspired by our reaction to what's happening with Ukraine and Russia, kind of in the the United States' inability to actually take any military action to intervene on behalf of the Ukraine and maybe frustration there or, or Biden wanting to make it clear that the feeling that he has is that, you know, when a larger aggressor makes moves on a smaller country, um, that he, that he would want to be able to intervene. Yeah, I mean, you saw sort of a similar situation with Biden several weeks ago, right, on Russia when he said that Putin should be removed. And then the White House then responded and said, this is actually not a change of U.S. policy, but how else could you read what the president said? And there does seem to be this bit of push and pull. Maybe it is the frustration of the president feeling like the U.S. should and could do more. I'm not sure. I can't read his mind, but, you know, I think it does kind of throw a wrench into a lot of these questions that and you know that we may not expect from the Biden administration because they're supposed to be the foreign policy experts. Although we we're kind of talking about this in the in the abstract, do you think if it happened today that Taiwan got invaded that Biden would he, would would be able to mobilize troops? I don't know. I don't know if I can answer that. That is quite hypothetical. I mean, as of what the president is saying now, he's saying there is no change in U.S. policy. Like he himself walked it back the next day. So I think what we first need to do is figure out exactly where the U.S. stands on this, where the president stands on this, and where the White House is willing to actually, you know, mm-hmm. put substance to what is being said and then go from there. Let me follow up with another hypothetical. If Canada were to nuke Tanzania, what do you... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I can't do hypothetical. <laughs> I don't know if it is a hypothetical though, because like Ch- China's like just like Russia was saying for years, yeah, we want like well they weren't well for the longest time they weren't saying all of Ukraine, but there was there was lots of that talk. But basically, like Russia was basically saying, hey, look, we're going to invade. We have got tanks on the border, and everyone was like, no, no, you're not. Um, like China is has made it very clear that they they don't even consider. Taiwan to, to be a separate country, right? Like, they're, all the signs are there. And the moment the invasion happens, which I think it inevitably will, right? Like, Taiwan's not not getting any stronger or not going to be allowed to get any stronger. And China is only empowered by the international community sitting on the fence. And I think China will feel empowered by what's happened in Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, one of the theories is that maybe putting this sort of statement out by the president does deter China even more because it shows that maybe the president wants to be more aggressive and how much more strategically ambiguous can you get than that, which is like, we don't know exactly what Biden is thinking, what the U.S. is going to do. So maybe, you know, how does that actually change things? Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, it's we'll just we'll just have to see. I I think what Mm -hmm. really needs to be done is for some sort of clarity to come out of the White House on whether there is a shift in Taiwan policy, but I don't see that happening anytime soon either. To bring it back to Japan, uh, how do you what's your read on how Japan is feeling right now about the state of the US Japan relationship? I think there's a lot of cautious optimism. I run into a lot of 
fears still about whether the White House is going to flip again and there is going to be a return of Trump or Trumpism or some sort of Trump 2.0. I get that a lot. I've been getting it since I came out here from both Korea and Japan, actually. I think that fear is real and what that actually means for this period of what seems to be rebuilding of relationships with Biden, whether that's going to last. And I think that's a reasonable anxiety among allies and you know just not knowing exactly how the 2024 election is going to go it now looks like 2022 midterms are going to be pretty tough on the democrats so naturally i think there's a lot of that sort of worry and mm. um you know as with the ipev as as with this sort of vacuum that was left after the trump administration on economic policies economic security policies there is a big question as to what the u.s actually cares about and wants to do and what its vision is when it comes to working with countries out here in the region on economic security issues. Because it's huge if you actually are talking about supply chain strengthening, supply chain alternatives to China, then you have to be working in a cohesive way with Japan and Korea and, and other countries even in you know Southeast Asia, but there's not really that sense. I think IPEF was supposed to signal a comeback and, and a commitment. I don't know that it's worked. So when I think about the way the U.S.-Japan alliance is going after Trump years especially, I feel a lot of and I hear a lot of cautious optimism from Japan's standpoint that they're glad to see at least rhetorically the U.S. is back. It almost looks like the U.S. that they used to know, but they don't know if this U.S. is going to stick. So it's like Biden's writing checks that potentially he can't cash. Might bounce. Yeah. I, I remember a lot of optimism when Trump came into power in Japan, though. It's, they had the sense that he was going to take a hard line on China and that he was going to stand up to, to North Korea. And there were, there were all of these optimistic feelings and sentiment that was expressed when he first came into power. Yeah, and actually that sense of being strong on China has now crossed both parties, right? After Trump, mm -hmm. even the Dems have come around on, you know, we got to stand up to China. And um, there was a lot of, um, you know, people did welcome it out here from Japan that uh, when Biden came back and or when Biden became president and um, even Democrats in Congress were saying that we need to be ch tougher on China. Um, I talked to many Japanese officials who were saying, OK, well, we're good to see we're we like seeing that um, this rhetoric has stuck and it hasn't left after China, after Trump. Um, but again, I think they also just expect more substance from this White House. Hmm. OK, let's look at. So we, we've had a chat about China. I guess the other um, the other baddie is North Korea. Did anything change during this trip? Well, I think we saw the US and South Korea really show that it is going to be just not have not going to have it anymore with North Korea and put the ball in their court. I mean, you saw from the joint statement, they talked about resuming military drills, joint military drills between the US and um, South Korea, and even possibly expand military drills in some way, which is exactly what North Korea doesn't want to hear. Um, it talked about cyber crimes by North Korea, which was actually new. They hadn't talked about that publicly in a joint statement before. And you can see that they are uh, just hardening their stance toward North Korea, which is sort of what we spe we expected anyway. Um, mm -hmm. But other than that, you know, I, I don't think there's much of a daylight between um, what the Obama administration did and what, where the Biden administration seems to be heading. A lot of experts I talked to said that it, their joint statement and the, the approach now uh, with 
South Korea seems to be like strategic patience 2.0, a return of Obama times where you don't try to um, raise, uh, escalate tensions purposefully, but you also don't try to make massive gains on diplomacy purposefully right. either. Because that, that is definitely a difference to, to, to the Trump policy, right? Because Trump wanted to stop all of those military exercises. He famously went and, and shook hands with North Korea, North Korean officials in North Korea. Yeah, so, and President Biden, when you know, when he was asked if he has a message to Kim Jong Un, he said "hello," period. And I think that's yeah. pretty much all you needed to know of yeah. where we're headed. We're we're no longer going to have these love letters. We're at "hello," period. And that's mm. the the idea of not going out of your way to purposely escalate tensions is like it's like one of those. How do you respond to somebody who clearly just wants attention and and will do anything to escalate to get it? Is you don't give it to them. You you force them to to seek that attention in a different way. And sure. North Korea goes way out of their way to purposely escalate tensions whenever they can. But that is going to happen, though. I mean, th this does seem a, like like for what it's worth. I think Trump might have got it right with North Korea, because ultimately we are just a generation away from them having nukes. And so this seems like a bit of tin can kicking policy that like we're saying no dialogue, but they will force dialogue the moment there's a credible nuclear missile, right? Right. And they are now showing all the signs that they're about to conduct their seventh nuclear test. So the weapons program is it's growing. Their nuclear capabilities are growing and have been for a long time, um, regardless of what the U.S. policy has been. And Ali, to your point, there are Democrats who work in the North Korea space who st still think that Trump did something right. And and that was his approach to North Korea, which was just something different. It wasn't the best uh -huh. thing. It was top, some, do, some top smart down. people agree with me. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, I still do hear that from a lot of Democrats in the North Korea space. So speaking of uh, the testing that North Korea is doing, let's talk about PCR testing. Um, how's, how's North Korea? What, what do we know about the COVID situation in North Korea? Well, they don't have PCR testing, a lot of PCR testing, it seems. So I was I was just desperately trying to make a clever sounding segue, Michelle. Let me have this. Let me let me have it. <laughs> no, I'm just gonna whack it away. Uh, no, uh. they um, so COVID, North Korea. It was like three weeks ago that they declared that they had their first positive COVID case, which most people don't believe is true. Um, mm. That we have heard like some outbreaks like kind of in the border region you know there's some news still coming out of that region and people have had covid-like symptoms um but north korea said that it's now you know had this public health crisis because it had its first uh, positive cases of of omicron variant ba2 and then after mm -hmm. that they had like tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of cases of fever quote-unquote fever which is as best as they could test what could be covid so what we've been right. saying is this is suspected covid and it's just it looks like they have had as many as two million cases but they're suspected because they're still calling it fever but what we do know is that the this is not it's not really great news for North Korea. Their healthcare system is quite poor. The access to medication is very bad. Um, I talked to some defectors recently who talked about how the hospitals that they used to go to don't have reliable running water, don't have reliable electricity. So how could you actually expect them to be treating these um, potential COVID cases uh, mm. in a good way? And also mm -hmm. North Korea is one of two countries in the world that does not have a vaccine program right now. So most of the population is not vaccinated against COVID. Three questions. One, what's the other one? Eritrea. Okay. Is that a country I know? Oh, oh. 
That's hilarious. Um, I, I was looking into uh, tax exemption status, and as an American <laughs> who has to pay his taxes, even though he doesn't reside in America, the only other country that doesn't have a residency exemption is also Eritrea. Oh, wow. Oh, very interesting. All right, that was the first question. I think I had three. The second question is, is there like any humanitarian response from the rest of the world? Like all these poor people having South COVID? Korea offered. So South Korea has offered uh, COVAX, which is the UN-connected vaccine uh, program that helps poor countries, has offered millions of doses to uh, North Korea of vaccines, but North Korea has rejected them. Um, the U.S. has said it's offered some help. We're not exactly clear whether it was direct or indirect through COVAX. North Korea has not responded. I mean, at this point, it's probably going to be China that they would be more more open to. But uh, they've actually kicked out all humanitarian workers out of the country. Um, there are no foreigners, uh, very, very few foreigners left in North Korea anymore because of the border lockdown. So even humanitarian right. groups, even the UN groups can't get in. Um, so mm -hmm. they are not officially accepting any outside help at the moment. Well, OK. And then third question, uh, how dangerous is this for the rest of the world? I know you're not a virologist, but, you know, we can all have a good guess. Is this a breeding ground for a potentially really deadly form of COVID that then seeps back out into the rest of uh, Asia and, and we start this whole sorry process again? An an another marriage. So that was a that was a callback to the extras, which I encourage you to listen. When you, uh... Marriage number two. Um, exactly. Well, the WHO says that when there's an outbreak in any population that is unvaccinated, we do risk uh, some emergence of a new variant. But it is curious whether it's going to happen from North Korea because North Korea can lock its its people down very effectively and it can shutter the borders. It can tell people to just stay home and never come out even if you starve to death. That's, that's pretty much what they've been doing. And so mm -hmm. there is a chance that they could actually contain this within North Korea. It does not actually make its way out because of the border movement between North Korea and China has been just so... Uh, shut like people can't leave North Korea really anymore the number of defectors uh, coming out of North Korea has plummeted in the past couple of years under COVID so there is mm. a chance that North Korea can actually shut this thing down without it leaving the borders but of course and the, then WHO when is they develop warn. a super refined super deadly North Korean strain they'll strap that to the front of a long range missile and send it our way <laughs> an ICBM yeah. well the, la the final point I'll make is that um, North Korea actually has a relatively young population. I believe the median age is something like 30 or 32. So the the population of the elderly who can, you know, who are the most vulnerable, it's not as big as other other countries. So it could be that a lot of these people have fever and then they overcome it and they can go back to work within the next, you know, who knows how long. What's the average lifespan in North Korea? Do we know? I'm not exactly sure. Oh. Huh. I was wondering why the population was lower. Is it is it just uh, um, an I believe it's tied it, is, to lifespan, yeah. To life expectancy, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know the exact huh. age, but life expectancy definitely is. So I'm, I'm middle-aged in North Korea. Sorry. <laughs> nothing, to, nothing to apologize for. 30 and thriving. Right, so uh, on, on the note of thriving, can we try and end on a positive note then? What's the best case scenario? Let's say that uh, we don't have um, a, a mad president in the White House next time. 
let's say that Asia remains pol- fairly politically stable, what's the um, what's the best case scenario for whom? Well, me, ideally. <laughs> can we? Well, the best case scenario for you, Ali, if you want to end on a positive note, is that Japan is attempting to reopen its borders to tourism. You could That's you could right. get in on one of the uh, select tourist groups. And that would be really funny, right? If if the only way that we can do a Japan by River Cruise live is if I'm on a tour bus in Kyoto, then sneak <laughs> off. Did you see that Michelle, Thai, Thai tour got shut down today? Yeah, oh, really? Why? yeah, I was I was going to ask you about this. Uh, so when we started planning uh, the show, we, we thought we were going to be able to talk about tour groups being allowed back in. But then just today, uh, which tour was shut down because of a, a COVID outbreak? The one from Thailand. There was one person who was feeling feverish and then p- tested positive and then was, ex- you know, three more people were exposed because, you know, they're traveling in a pack. Any Both. word about how this is going to affect the, the program? Well, so far, I mean, they shut down that specific tour for now, but um, not for the other countries. I mean, as of today, they said this is not going to affect the group tours resuming in June. So we'll see. But Presumably that person got COVID while in Japan, though, because they would have been tested before they got in, no? You would think so, because they sh- they would have needed to test negative before and after getting here. Mm. Okay, I'm going to try one more time. What is the best case scenario? Like, how 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 can America leverage the power that it still wields to uh, to drive stability in the region and prosperity? I think best case scenario would come about only if the U.S. actually prioritizes its presence in this region. Um, it could be saying all the things that it wants. It could be introducing all sorts of new acronyms, but everyone is going to want substance. And especially for an administration that has said that it cares about issues out here, that has said it wants to compete with China, it's time for the U.S. to actually put meat to the, meat to the bone. And I think the best case scenario will come if there is true commitment to Asia issues from the U.S. side. And I think both sides know that. And meat to the bone is uh, famously how the Koreans make their ribs. So maybe that gives an insight as to... <laughs> is that... No, that's not a good out. I was quite, quite the reach. <laughs> uh, Michelle... You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna take me to task for my PCR testing, and you're gonna let Ali walk away with that one. But, but the, my face said all it needed. To. <laughs>